0: One of the uh, great privileges I think every one of us have had is at some point in our life, whether you grew up in a Christian home, whether you went to a camp, attended a church, or had a friend, undoubtedly most of us came to Christ because somebody took the risk to share Christ with us. It, it usually doesn't happen by itself in isolation. Maybe there's the odd person who went to a hotel, picked up a Gideon's Bible, and, and Christ changed them. But usually that's, again, a part of a series of events that God brought into our life so that we might come to know his love and grace in the person of Christ. As we think about this this morning, uh, I wanna talk a little bit about the nature of the gospel, but at least in terms of the relationship that we often have to it is different than what I think God wants us to have to it. And the reason I say that is that the passage that we're gonna look at is Philippians two, we're gonna look at five through eight basically, But I want you to think about the gospel differently this morning. And the reason is for this. If you think about the gospel and how we think about it, uh, I want to propose to you this morning that as Christians, people who have gone through the doorway of the gospel into God's grace and into the family of God, we often look at the gospel as being it's done its duty. I have this responsibility now to share it with others, and yet there's often a huge struggle for us to get there. Let me illustrate it to you this way. When we think about the gospel, I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So if I was going to ask you, what is the gospel? Well, some of you might quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us kind of the the essential facts of what the gospel is, that Christ died for our sins. And and the Scriptures are pretty clear that all of humanity are sinners. There is no one who is good enough in and of themselves There's no resume that anyone will ever be able to present to God to say, hey, I can get in here on my own merits. The second element is that Christ was buried. He actually had a real physical death and was buried for three days and then was raised from the dead and now he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And so we understand that as the gospel. And so as we think about that, we understand that God accepts us only through the gospel. We understand that we're forgiven only through the gospel. We understand that we have been removed from his judgment and wrath through the gospel. We understand that we've been adopted into God's family through the gospel. We are given eternal life through the gospel. And yet, as we think about the gospel, we tend to think of it as a concept or an idea. For instance, we know that it's the means, the doorway, that which we step into those elements, those the the riches of God's grace, to be forgiven and removed from judgment. And we're also told, once we come to Christ, that, well, there's a responsibility. If if I really understand the value of God saving me from a Christless eternity, and, and, and someone took the time to do that, why in the world would it be hard for us to share that with someone else? And yet, their statistics will tell us there's many, many Christians who never share the gospel with anybody. Or that it's years and years before they turn around and and share it. And and we have all kinds of clutter between what we've received and the message that we want to share with others. It's our our sense of identity. It's our sense of brokenness. It's our our sense of uh, wanting approval from people, the fear of retribution. We, We find all kinds of things that we want to hang on to to provide a sense of security and safety for our own life. And so there's often this sense of gap that and the reason for it, I believe, is sometimes we think we're salespeople. That we're trying to market a concept or an idea to a group of people who that we already believe are not going to be resistant that are going to be resistant to it. We don't like the idea of being salespeople, but when we think about the gospel as simply a concept or an idea, that's inevitably where many of us go especially if you're introverts or or your identity's been broken in such a way that we worry about whether we can sell this properly. And so as we begin to think about this, one of the things that gets missed is that, well, okay, the means of getting into God's family is the gospel. I need to share it with others, or at least I think I'm supposed to, but there seems to be this huge gap between what I've received and how do I get this out and share it with others. And, And so we have forgotten that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. But the danger is, as we go, well, I've already done that. I've already accepted the gospel. Why do I need to preach it to myself? Why is it relevant for me as a Christian? I, I mean, other than the fact that I, need, I should share it with someone else, I, I've done that. I've gone through that doorway. What's the significance for the rest of my life? And the danger is, is that one of the most critical issues for the Christian life is the gospel. If, in a sense, I'm not preaching the gospel to myself every day, there's a danger that we, are, we get spiritually out of alignment with God and we start living above the gospel like it's not important to us anymore. And so when we think of this message, we may think of it in terms of a duty or an obligation. We might think of it as a responsibility or a privilege. It doesn't really matter but we do know the spiritual struggle that it comes to trying to breach this message with people who don't know Christ. And I would say one of the first things we need to think about is the solution is not that I become better equipped to share the message or answer the questions. The issue is I need to start preaching the gospel to myself. And I want to think of it only in one dimension this morning as we think about the reality of the gospel and what it means for us. Because if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves, we're going to have this dysfunctional message that will probably not get out because we're, we've, we've built our sense of security and the meaning and purpose of our life around the temporal things that we're clinging to in this life rather than the eternal reality of the gospel. Now, what does that look like? Well, Philippians chapter 2 is the text that I want to take you to. And instead of thinking of the gospel as a concept or an idea or a message, I want you to remind yourself of something you already know is true, but I want you to think about it in terms of a person. And I actually want to point out to you how Jesus submitted himself to the gospel, we wouldn't say it that way because we're kind of like Jesus didn't need the gospel, but he submitted himself to the redemptive plan and purpose of the Father, and therefore submitted himself to the nature of the gospel. Now what does that mean? Philippians chapter two summarizes differently the gospel than 1 Corinthians 15. Philippians two says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or is which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now let me pause there for a moment. Most of you go, okay, there. I recognize the gospel there. It's the death on the cross part. I will challenge you on that this morning to say that's not where the gospel begins. The gospel really begins back in verse 5, not into the sense of we need to have the same attitude, but it starts in the eternal annals, as it were, and and courtyard of heaven, where the triune God, as it were, brainstormed, to use our language, this plan of redemption, and then things were going to change for this fellowship that they had. And I want to propose it to you this way. I believe Philippians 2 gives us a picture, now listen carefully, because I don't want you to misunderstand me, a picture of the whole gospel, not that the content is going to change or the truth is going to change, but our perspective of the the gospel is going to change in terms of just being a concept or an idea or a message to a person. Now what do we mean by that? I believe that the biggest Picture to help us understand why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves is in Philippians 2. And here's where it works. The first thing is Christ surrendered to the gospel. In other words, he surrendered to this redemptive plan that the Godhead put together even before he got here. It was obviously schemed in eternity past somewhere that this is what the Godhead was going to do to rescue fallen humanity. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 completes that picture, but there's two things that are there. One is the mindset. The Spirit of God tells Paul to write to believers that the mindset that you and I have ought to be the same as Christ. This mindset, this attitude, this perspective is really the perspective that Jesus decided that he was as we're gonna talk about in a minute, not gonna grasp onto the idea of being equal with God, but he was going to relinquish that. He was going to surrender it. Somewhere in there, they made the decision that he was going to become the person who clothes himself in flesh and blood and lives among us. And so the mindset that Paul is writing to us is saying, I want you to have this mindset. And I believe he's saying, I want you to have the same mindset that Christ had that took him From the eternal fellowship of the Godhead to say, all right, (laughs) I'm going to be the one that's going to go amongst men, I'm going to take to myself flesh and blood, and I'm going to make the sacrifice that is necessary to redeem a broken humanity. So the model is a person, not an idea. The model is a person, not a concept. The concept and the truth of the gospel that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and raised on the third day, is critical truth. But if we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, we're going to go, well, I already did that. I know it's supposed to go out here to other people. I don't know how it relates to me as I live my Christian life other than it's important to get it out there. I mean, I understand Paul said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, but that's his way of trying to get it in front of people, not necessarily how he's preaching it to himself every day. Now, that might be fine motivation for some of you, while other people need to know the gospel, but there's hordes of Christians that it's not working. So the question is, why do we need to preach the gospel to ourselves? Though there's three things I want to mention to you this morning briefly. This passage has got so much theology in it that if I really got off on this, This would be not a mini-series, it would replace Romans for the next two years. And I know you don't want to leave Romans at all. But we want to talk about Christ, his surrender to the gospel, that he was a servant of the gospel and a sacrifice for the gospel. And it is very much a part of how we need to live our daily lives. What mode of existence are we gonna take? Notice the phrase in Philippians 2, who though he was in the form, the Greek word is morphe, as God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So there's really two parts to the, what this is doing is setting us up for the incarnation where Christ takes, moves out of this mode of being in this eternal fellowship with the Godhead and he's gonna take to himself flesh and blood and become like us. So the first element is, is this strange statement where, God, where the text says, he did not, Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. What? What does that mean? Well, I, we could write volumes on it, but I'm going to short-circuit that process a little bit. But I, 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 I'm convinced that as we look at this, what it's basically saying here is that Christ isn't gonna hang on to all the privileges and freedoms and benefits that he had experienced from all eternity past with the Godhead. That has never changed for as long as they had existed. We're never told in the scripture that that relationship had ever changed till this point right here. Now, it does not suggest at all that Christ was going to cease to be God in becoming human. I don't think there's anywhere in the scriptures that would suggest that he now is not God, and he's just a man, and he's earning his way back in favor with the Father. I think that's fallacious. I think it's wrong. I think Jesus was God in the flesh. He didn't become a Savior. He was the Savior. The second thing is that uh, it doesn't suggest that Jesus, uh, the uh, the second person, was created by the Father. I know we have statements in the scripture that talk about him being the only begotten. That really talks about having exactly the same nature rather than having a starting point. But Jesus, the human person, had a starting point. But the second person of the Godhead never did. He has eternally existed with them. But all of a sudden, as we get to this point, we're going to discover that I believe what Paul is writing here is he's not talking about a precursor to the gospel, He's talking about them inaugurating the gospel. See, we go to 1 Corinthians 15. Well, Jesus came and became flesh. He lived for 33 years. He interacted with people. He did miracles. He did all kinds of things. But the the gospel is the end of his life where he suffered and was crucified and buried and raised, and that's the gospel. But Paul seems to write in this whole picture, here's the bigger picture of this whole movement of what God did. And it begins with Jesus saying, I'm not going to consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Why does he say that? Well, the plan of redemption couldn't be carried out unless someone hit the ground running and was representing God in the flesh to pay for the sin of humanity. And so something had to change in the nature of that relationship. And I believe that what this essentially means is that Jesus is gonna change his mode of existence. And Instead of being the second person of the Godhead who rules sovereignly over all creation, he's going to relinquish that, he's gonna surrender that, and now he's going to take the form of a servant. But it had to begin by saying this, he's not gonna, the word grass literally means to take by force or to hang onto something by force. And so at the heart of this he's saying, he's not gonna cling to the things that he had with the Godhead because that would be the greatest obstacle to him becoming human. If he wasn't willing to relinquish or surrender that, he never would have come to earth. It seems strange for us to talk about God in those terms because it's kind of like, shouldn't this be easy? I mean, shouldn't they just make the decision and do it? But the text tells us that he did not consider this equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, here's the point that I think it made. Christ did not keep on grasping after all the privileges, the freedoms, the entitlements, the prerogatives, the benefits, the fellowship, the communion, or the rights that he shared with the Godhead from all eternity. Why is that important? Well, you have to remember the Godhead from all eternity lived in this perfect sense of fellowship and love forever. Now it's going to change. And it has to change in order for the gospel to get to us. Now what's my point? If we preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis, the very first thing that Paul wants to say to us, the Spirit of God wants to say to us through Paul, is that we will never, ever, ever be successful at the, go- at, at the mission of the gospel if it doesn't begin with me willing to surrender all my rights and freedoms and privileges and entitlements to God first. Because long, as long as I cling to my freedoms and my personal rights and my way of doing things, and, and I'm gonna cling to that like Jesus didn't, I'm never going to get feet on the ground and be the kind of servant that God can use. Because I'm always gonna be in this battle like, well, I want my freedom, and therefore that conflicts with the mission of the gospel to my neighbor, so yeah, you lose, I'm gonna stick to this. Good. This is gonna take time and energy, and so, you know i've got a really busy schedule sorry god i'm a little busy for that so unless we get to a point in our own lives that we are not we are willing to surrender and not grasp over our freedoms our benefits our security and we're willing to relinquish that we will never become the servant and develop the mindset that christ had i in fact i believe that the greatest obstacle to the gospel through the church of Christ, is not politics, it's not economics, it's not all our, our, our conflict in our culture among different groups, it's not even the evil, it's not even Satan, it's Christians who won't relinquish their rights and freedoms before God. Because if we don't do that, nothing else is gonna happen. And the reason I know that is because Christ is, we are told that that's what Christ did in order to inaugurate the gospel. Now this is where it probably gets pretty embarrassing, at least for me, is that the longer I live, the more selfish I think I am. Meaning we know in our marriages, our spouse asks us to do something and we whine and complain because it's taking time from TV or something. We like to control our own time and space. We like to be in control. And God says, hey listen, if you want to be part of the mission of the gospel, it begins by not grasping and and trying to seize your rights and benefits and entitlements and all the things you think you're entitled to if this is gonna work. You can't serve two masters. You, You can either serve God or we can serve our personal rights and freedoms and our own entitlements. And so it becomes one of the things that rubs hard, not just in our American culture, but all over the world, is Christians who go through this battle of what's more important to me, my rights and freedoms or the mission of the gospel? And we have to sort of come to terms with it, even if it's in baby steps. Says, what is this what is there one thing that you grab tightly to in your own life that you think you're entitled to? This is my right, my freedom. I don't care if it's personal, I don't care if it's national, I don't care if you think of it in terms of citizenship. But there's all kinds of things like that that will clearly undermine our God, God's ability to use us if that's more important to us. He did not keep grasping onto those things. The second element of this is that Christ uh, emptied himself, again the word morphe is used, he changed his mode of existence as the sovereign God of the universe in the triune Godhead, and he emptied himself by becoming like us and becoming a servant. Now at the heart of this is the word servant. You'll know that there's terms all the way through the scriptures that talk about the fact that Christ didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the will of the Father. John 5, 19, he didn't do anything on his own initiative. He only did what the Father led him to do. And unfortunately, unless I'm unique in this, we probably have a huge resume behind us where I've done my own thing rather than what God wanted me to do. Now, I can fall into despair and discouragement of saying, God, I've screwed up so much, but I'm clearly a worthless vessel and I have no right to even claim to be a Christian because I don't know how to get this straight. Or I can get before his throne of grace and knowing that he's more gracious than I tend to be to say he's a God who's forgiven me. He's a God who's removed me from his judgment through the gospel. He's the one who's adopted me into his family and he's given me the righteousness of Christ and he has poured out his love in my life through the spirit of God And it doesn't matter, he knows that we're all like four-year-olds running around trying to fight over our own toys, and that we're only dust, and so he's got extreme patience for broken humanity, even believers, who need to preach the gospel to themselves because we need to remind ourselves on a daily basis, this life isn't mine, it belongs to the Lord. And if I'm not willing to relinquish my entitlements and my privileges, I will never be effective, Never be effective in the mission of the gospel. When Christ became a servant, that has another dimension to it, but it's very much complementary to what I talked about. The idea is he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Christ, and I'm using a lot of different terms just to hope that something resonates with you, but the essence of it is Christ surrendered a self-directed life. It wasn't just, it didn't stop just by surrendering my entitlements and my benefits and my freedoms and my personal rights. He now said part of that is now that he's a human being and living on this earth, he's going to not live a self-directed life. I put a bunch of other, it's not a self-fulfilling life, it's not a self-acting life, it's not a self-actualization life, it's not self-advancement, self-appointment, self-determined, or self-governing. He lived as a servant under the authority of the Father for the Father's purpose and the Father's plan to bring redemption to broken humanity. He didn't allow a whole bunch of other dreams and plans and goals that he had to to shape the direction of what he was going to do. It was surrendering to the Father, allowing the Spirit to walk him through each of those decisions on a daily basis. And Jesus could do it because he was perfectly secure in his identity. I mean, I just got back from 3 weeks vacation. No matter how much I enjoyed it, I knew it was temporary. I was coming back. Jesus' situation was much more severe. He knew he was coming to earth, it's 33 years rather than 3 weeks, but he knew it was temporary. He fully secure in understanding who he was, and so he had the freedom to make be that kind of servant and sacrifices because he knew it was in a sense temporary. The problem is we cling to this life like it's eternity. And so as we begin to think about this, I want you to think about the gospel as being inaugurated at the incarnation that's not a prelude to the gospel. This is where the gospel begins. And we need to preach that to ourselves because every day we need to get up and go, Well, I've got all my plans, I'm really busy. God, I haven't got time for you to pray this morning. Yeah, I'd spend time in your word, but I got a lot of stuff I'm gonna do. doing. Rather, it should be, Lord, My whole day and my life is yours. Where do you want me to start? Yeah, I've got all these plans and responsibilities and things I need to do, but Lord, you come first. What does this look like? And I suspect lots of times Lord says, I want you to represent me in every one of those responsibilities and every one of those activities, and all those people you touch, you represent me. But there are times that God say, ah, you know, this thing that you are going to do for three hours on your own, Nah, we're not going to do that. And so, as a servant, he gave up a self-directed life. Very hard for us to do. And he was a servant of the gospel. Now, the word here is servant. It's the same word as slave. In Romans chapter 6, verse 19, he says, For just as you were once presented yourselves as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So the word slaves talks about I'm giving control over my life to someone else. I'm letting them call the shots or I become addicted to certain things that control me. It's, it's like parenting. You know, if you've got kids, I don't know, when we had kids, I can't remember the age range. It was probably when they were three, four, or five. We had, we've got two of them for those of you that don't know our family. But it's always fun when, you know, they get into a squabble and one would take the toys of to the other one or whatever kind of thing and, and you'd sit down with one of the kids and you go, okay, I don't want you to go and take your sister or brother's stuff. And you ever had that t- moment when you're talking to your kid where they know they're looking at you, but you already know they've got their mind made up that they're going to go and do it, what you told them not to do? It's kind of like, even before you finish talking, you know you've got a problem on your hands because they're going to go do it anyway. That's kind of like us with God. There's times he says, listen, this is, this is what I want you to do, this is what I not want you to do, and we kind of look at him like, yeah, I hear you, but I'm still, I'm still going to do my own thing. It's a good thing he knows that we're just dust, and we won't rise any higher to being four-year-olds in some respects in his presence, or he would crush us probably. But the, but the idea in this is that even though we act like four-year-olds before God at times, he's got amazing patience and compassion for us. And he walks alongside us, and even when we make stupid decisions, even when we struggle with things, even when we want to do our thing, we're more concerned about my entitlements and rights. He keeps hanging in the journey. and keeps reminding us, in spite of sort of the collateral damage we cater up in our own life, that he still loves us and he sacrifices his son for us. The reason I preach the gospel to myself every day is to say, listen, I need to remind myself what Christ gave up for me. And it begins, the gospel mission in my life begins when I present to myself every day before him, saying, God, you've got my whole life and every entitlement and benefit and self-direction that I think I wanna have, I'm surrendering to you. And as we begin to work through this, we'll discover that Christ was also the sacrifice But one of the things that we have to remember is, and I'll preach messages like this and I'll always have people come up and go, you know, if God comes to me and asks me to give up something, I'll do it. And I said, well, I get that, I understand that. Like, when God came to Moses, it was like, drop everything, we're going to Egypt and turned into a bit of a discussion. (laughs) But, But the idea here is that in the terms of this text, God has already asked you to give up your rights and entitlements and your, and your privileges and self-direction and self-governance. It's not that he might ask you to do it, he already has. Because we're to have exactly the same mindset of Christ that we're not to be grasping onto all our privileges and freedoms, we're to surrender that to him because that's the only, that's the absolute indispensable ingredient that has to happen if we're really going to be a servant on mission for Christ. And many of us can probably think back that one of the greatest struggle we have isn't other people. It's not the evil in the world. It's not the disposition of my neighbors. The struggle is right in here because I'm going like, yeah, God, that seems really fearful to me. Uh, And and we want to protect me more than I care about the gospel. But one of the things we need to understand about the sacrifice of Christ is he obviously gave the ultimate sacrifice and the only sufficient sacrifice to redeem us from our brokenness. But he didn't manufacture that. You know, the danger that we have in our elements is that we go, great, I, wanna, I, I gotta think of something big to sacrifice for God. And he won't be impressed. Because the sacrifice that Jesus made wasn't something that he concocted in order to impress the Father. It was him simply following the lead of the Father to the cross, And I think it's impossible for us to follow the leading of the Spirit of God and God's purpose for us if we're going to be on mission if it doesn't at some point involve some sacrifices. Ones that we don't want to make, that violate our freedoms, that may crush our sense of entitlement. And all too often we go, yeah, that sounds like a really good deal, God. Let me pray about it. my life, I would love to do that, but I'm a little bit busy. And one of the things that I want you to understand is that God is looking for servants, not volunteers. The problem in the Christian life and American Christianity is we think God wants volunteers rather than servants. That we have control over our own life and we'll volunteer and pick and choose what we think God we can be helpful at. That doesn't require too much commitment. Because I still have all these like, things that I want to do with my life, and I got plans and goals and everything else. And I think God just sits back and he smiles at us, says, I still love you. I'll be here when you're finished messing around. God doesn't need volunteers. He needs people who are bondservants of Christ. Matthew 9, Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees and he was eating with some of the tax gatherers and the sinners, as the Pharisees put it. And they pointed it out to him like, dude, why are you hanging out with these guys? And Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy or compassion, not sacrifice. See, the idea is not that we create our own sacrifices that we think are acceptable to God because we will always frame those in in ways that are convenient to me that don't cost too much. The idea is, is I'm, am I willing to follow Jesus and make whatever sacrifices he leads me to make for the purpose of the gospel? And so, one of the struggles we have is that we don't preach the gospel to ourselves enough because if we preach the gospel to ourselves, we would be reminded every day, first of all, that Christ shed his blood so that we might have the hope of eternal life. That by itself ought to propel us, whether you're an introvert, whether you're terrified of your own self, whether you have identity issues, whether you struggle with stuff, ought to compel us enough to say, people need to hear this. But in case that doesn't do it for you, the reason we need to preach the gospel to ourselves is that we need to get before the Lord every day and say, Lord, my life is yours. I think I have the right and the privilege to do whatever I want, but I'm gonna surrender those to you so that I can truly be the kind of servant that will follow you regardless of the cost and the sacrifice so that my neighbor might come to know Jesus Christ the gospel truly will keep us surrendered to Christ the gospel gives us a divine purpose in life that's bigger than our vacation plans and our retirement plans and our house plans and our job plans and our occupational plans our hobbies We tend to think and put more planning into that than how we take those same activities and try to fulfill the mission of the gospel. The gospel motivates us to follow Christ as servants, not volunteers. And Preaching the gospel to ourselves prevents us from living above the gospel. See, if we think of it as a concept or simply a message, I've walked through that door years and years ago, as many of you had, now, I guess the only relevance the gospel has has got nothing to do with how I live. There's lots of other Bible stuff to help me do that. I just have to sort of get it in front of people. But if I really struggle here, part of the reason is because we haven't surrendered properly to Christ, we still want control. The reason this is sometimes a struggle is because we haven't learned to be servants and that usually ties back into our mindset which means I'm still grasping onto things, my own security, my own freedoms, my own privileges, my own entitlements because when that's in the battle, then being a true servant of the mission of the gospel is impossible. But if I preach it to me every day, I surrender and I serve and I sacrifice. The story is told at the close of a gospel service, a really intelligent looking man came to the minister and said, I do not see any necessity for the blood of Christ in my salvation. I can be saved without believing in the shed blood of Christ. Well, very well, said the minister. He says, How do you propose to get saved? Well, by following his example, said the gentleman. That's enough for any man. Well, I suppose it is, said the minister. And you propose to do that just in your, and you propose to do that in your life. I do, and I'm sure that'll be enough. The minister said very well. I'm sure that you want to begin that journey correctly. The Word of God tells us how to do that. I read here, concerning Christ, who did, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. I suppose you can say you've done that well. Well, the man became visibly embarrassed and went well. Not exactly, I have sometimes sinned. In that case, the minister said, you don't need an example, you need a savior. There are way too many people in this world who have never come to the reality of the shed blood of Christ and surrendered to God because they're trusting that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin And all they want to do is follow their example. They want to do good works. They want to be committed to justice, and those things are fine. But apart from the shed blood of Christ, you're wasting your time to some degree. It'll gain you no points with God. It'll gain you no favor with him. In fact, it may deceive you to think that you're doing all the right things, and at the end of the life, Jesus might say, I never knew you because you never surrendered to me through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know where you're at in this journey? If you're watching at home, do you, do you really know where you're at in this journey? Yeah, you might be able to say, I've surrendered and gone through the, the gospel and I'm part of the family of God. I know it's a message I have to get out to him, but I haven't thought about preaching the gospel to myself every day. And I want to invite you to get before His throne of grace this morning or sometime today or that's this next week. And maybe your confession has to be, Lord, I haven't preached the gospel to me itself. I think this is for other people. One way we know that we, we do that is when we start living above the gospel, it's either to criticize and condemn and be condescending to other people who haven't got it put together quite like we do. And rather than criticizing and condemning, we ought to be sharing this life-giving message of the gospel. But if we're not preaching the gospel to ourselves, it may never happen. Surrender, servanthood, and sacrifice. Do you understand the joy set before you in following Jesus in that way? You'll only do it if you preach the gospel to yourself. Father, thank you for your infinite love and grace that you demonstrated the enormity of your love for us through the sacrifice of your own son. You know, if this problem we had as being sinful was solvable in any other way, you could have given us a self-help book, you could have given us some principles to live by, you could have given us some great people to just follow their example and be nice to others. But the depth of our sin has corrupted us to such a depth that the best resume we can give to you will land us in a Christless eternity apart from the shed blood of Christ. And Father, often we've been guilty of not preaching the gospel to ourselves because we've been more concerned about pointing out the mistakes and errors in other people's lives rather than celebrating the grace that is in every believer's life. Our step this morning might simply be confessional. Asking you to forgive us at times for our clinging to our own independence and self-directed life, our own entitlements and freedoms and making those more important than trusting you and surrendering so that we might be servants who are not just volunteers but willing to follow you even like Moses, regardless of the cost or the sacrifice so that you might accomplish unbelievable things through those who are obedient servants to you and who have given you their whole heart. Father, sometimes we're so entangled in our own stuff, we don't know how to do that. We pray that you'd give us the courage to talk to people around us that can encourage us about surrendering to you, about being servants, and following you regardless of the sacrifice. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen.